0: Hello and welcome, everyone. My name is Andrew Kraus. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. We co-founded InventRight together, Stephen Key and myself, over 21 years ago, and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors for the last 21 years and in over 65 countries. I had a long day. I didn't get that one quite right, did I? Um, anyway, um, so Caleb, who I see is in the chat here, already wrote legal disclaimer because I always forget and I include the legal disclaimer halfway through and I always make a joke of it. It's just a running joke. Anyway, um, anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Um, So that's pretty much the disclaimer. Um, At the beginning of these, I like to just take two seconds to talk about what licensing is. So if somebody's watching the replay of one of these, they get the idea. With licensing, you do not need to raise money you do not need employees, and you do not need to run a business. So when you license to a big company, those are the brands that sell at the retailers where you wanna be, okay? They're a company that sells a particular product, could be a dog toy or a kitchen gadget or automotive product or whatever it is, and they sell at the retailers where you wanna be. And then sometimes they sell direct too. So when you license to one of those guys, potential licensee, you're the license or is the inventor. License E is the company that licenses your product. It's their money. It's their workforce. You don't need to hire anybody. And it's their existing distribution. You're dumping this whole thing on them. And because that's what they do, that's what they're good at. And sometimes in a lot of companies, not all, but uh, corporate America doesn't stimulate creativity. And you guys are coming at it from a different angle than they are. So... Uh, you can earn a lot of money with a very low potential risk because you're not hiring employees or starting a business or needing to raise money. Um, And these companies do very, very big volume. So for them, that's normal. And if you're getting a royalty on every single unit, that's pretty cool. So I like to joke sometimes that when you're licensing, you can have delusions of grandeur and you're not delusional because these big companies can do those numbers, depends on what numbers you're thinking. And some deals are smaller and some deals are bigger, but you see whatever deals you can get on the table and you go from there. So let's, uh, okay, great. I didn't even need to ask my two cents that he, you can hear and see me, so that's good. Um, Caleb says, hi, Andrew, working on my second PPA and forgot how hard I am probably making it. I used Smart IP the first time, that's our solution. Um, but what are your thoughts on the free templates available? Uh, Rocket Law, etc. I haven't seen those other ones. I'm pretty biased. I think our smart IP solution that we give our students, and by the way, we're going to start making that um, available a la carte um, beginning of next week, um, most likely. So um, you can get that separately once again. I don't know. I haven't looked at the details of these other ones. I know the patent attorney that we did Um, smart IP with, we had our input and he had his input. And I think it's better than anything else out there. And I've had people tell us that. Um, I'm not going to say negative things about other solutions, especially if I haven't used them in a long time. But what I've heard from a lot of people is ours is a lot better. Also, the attorney we're working with looked at these other solutions and said, oh, yeah, this is way better now. Um, So uh, what what were you saying? Um, You know, I think that Once you go through Smart IP and you use it to file a couple provisionals, I think you can kind of see the format and you could do it on your own. For those of you who have never written your own provisional, it's great because you can write it in common English. If you've ever done a patent search and you looked up patents, you're like, what the heck is this? It's some sort of foreign language. But a provisional patent can be done in common English. I have students of ours, InventRight students, that don't have a GED or a high school degree and they were able to do it just fine. So, um, sometimes we have, because we've had students in so many countries, sometimes non-native speakers, obviously that's going to be difficult. It doesn't matter if you don't have to write it in that ease, as I call it, but that you have to, um, have a, a basic understanding of the English language. So if English isn't your first language, have somebody proofread it. If you're pretty good, but not sure, and they should be able to clean it up for you, even not really understanding what you're doing. They're just going to make the sentences make sense because you've gone through our software and it's guided you to file your provisional. Um, uh, it's an interesting handle, FRFPR. I have no idea what that means, but that's your handle. And you guys feel free to type in your first name or I'll read your handle, whatever you prefer. Um, when can you one use patent pending? I love that. So there's two times, I can think about that for a second, that you can use patent pending. One really great time you can use patent pending that all our students utilize is when you file a provisional patent application. Now, attorneys are very anal about this, but they're actually very right on this one, I have to agree. And they're right on a lot of things, but they they don't, patent attorneys don't always treat inventors right, some of them. But on this one, they're totally right. So, um, and I've had a few mention this to me before. So when you file a provisional patent application, it's not a patent, okay? You didn't file a patent you filed a provisional patent application. And so if you never upgrade that to a utility, it's not a patent, so you shouldn't be calling it a patent. It's a provisional patent, even calling it a provisional patent. This is what attorneys don't like when you call it a provisional patent, because it implies, which they're right, that it's a patent, but it's not, it's an application. Because with a provisional patent application, if you don't file a full utility and reference that provisional within the year the provisional gives you, then, then it doesn't become a patent. And don't worry, you can file that again if you haven't made public disclosure. People say all the time, I file this provisional and my month is gonna run out. And this attorney said, I'm gonna lose my my priority date, my rights if I don't file a full utility. I'm like, he's kind of telling you a half truth. He's trying to get your money for filing a full utility, but he's not telling you that if you didn't make a public disclosure, you can just file that provisional again. Now each one is separate and you can't continue a provisional in any way, shape, or form except for filing a full utility. But if you had made a public disclosure and that time runs out, you can file it again. But some attorneys will make you believe that you're going to lose your rights and leave out a lot of information. And I don't know why, but I've been seeing that more lately. And I think that's just really dishonest um, to lead inventors down that path. It's fine if you want if they want to say, look, you're going to lose your priority date from the provisional, but and they don't want to tell you, you could just file a provisional again, because you could just take the 75 75- Spend another 75 bucks and do it yourself. But that's the honest thing to say. But they're thinking about things in a different way. They just feel like patents are the be all and end all, and they definitely aren't. So, the two instances getting back to your question when you can use patent pending is when you file a provisional patent application. This is cool. You can write, not you, you asked, when can I write patent pending? That's not the right question. Well, no, it is the right question. So when you file a provisional patent application, you can say patent pending. So for 75 bucks, you can say patent pending, because that's not lying, because it is pending. And If you later file a utility, so it it is patent pending, you can legally say patent pending. The other instance, obviously, that you can say patent pending is when you file a full utility patent, but that could be 10 or 12 grand or a lot of money, right? So the approach that we teach at InventRight is file a provisional for 75 dollars gives you a whole year to fish off the end of the pier see if there's any interest and if there is maybe you can get them to give you the money we get guide our students to do that sometimes and then you take that money and you know it's an advance on royalties maybe and you pay for the patent so really great technique if you're financially thin to basically only get the company to pay for the patent and you've only spent 75 bucks on the provisional patent application now when you do that it's always in your name. Companies shouldn't be filing provisionals for you. That's not how that works. They give you the money or you file it on your own. Maybe they give you some advance. And you just take part of that money and file the, the, the patent if that's important to them, which it always is not always. So FRFPR is your handle. That's your answer. Um, most of the time, our students, they're going to put patent pending on their cell sheet and you can legally do that. And that is really cool. You don't have to say provisional patent pending. You can say patent pending. So um, my two cents is their handle. If you're going to submit an idea to Hasbro, would you use their Spark Hasbro website? Any feedback on their agreement from the Spark site? I haven't read their agreement, so I can't give you feedback on that recently. I think I've had one or two people. I think the the complaint I've had about that site is um, that some of the students, they were or inventors, they were overseas and it's specifically stated on that site, we can only accept your submissions if you're in the US. I find that to be extremely rare, so rare in fact that actually I've never heard that before except for Hasbro. Um, if you're in the US, it doesn't make a difference because they just say they want ideas from US inventors. The the um, feedback we got from Hasbro when we had them on a webinar was, oh, we, we do conferences and different things in Europe, so that might be the appropriate time to send, which I thought was an interesting answer. Um, but you know, portals are never key. Um, my understanding is they have diff. They have other portals and direct contacts um, for people that have gotten past those initial stages. So the, I mean, I'm just going to say it. The public Hasbro portal is kind of like for the new green inventors, and the pros that have made a connection with somebody at Hasbro are submitting through a separate portal or directly via email to a particular person. So. I would say, what the hell, submit through the portal, but also try to submit uh, to some people at Hasbro through uh, LinkedIn, definitely, why not? Doesn't hurt, Um, but always be really polite. And obviously if you don't know how to do that, um, this is what I'll say, I can't go into all the details because we train our students on how to submit on LinkedIn for licensing. We have a whole program dedicated to it. Uh, It's like an add-on program that's included with our coaching. but never, ever, ever send a sell sheet unsolicited via email or via LinkedIn. It's extremely rude. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's it's like, I'm trying to say it without being, I was kind of empiric with dating, but without getting crude. Um, It's like assuming they want to go on a date with you. That's, I think that's the best way to put it. And that's not okay. You, you don't just walk up to a woman or a man and just say, hey, I'll I'll meet you for our date over there um, at the coffee shop at five. You know, it's like you ask, so you should ask if you can send your sell sheet. Um, my two cents is, by the way, thank you for your time and great advice. I always ask uh, for this at the end, but I'm just gonna mention it really quickly. Um, I would love to get to 80,000 subscribers within six or eight months. I don't know if that's realistic. We're at 50 something thousand subscribers, I forget. I'm guessing, I haven't looked at it in a while, 56. I don't remember. Um, but so if you guys could subscribe down below, if you're not subscribed, click on the notification button, watch a bunch of our videos too. Uh, but subscribing will, if you're not subscribed, please do that. Nothing happens. Um, I think if you're on YouTube and at the time it might pop up and say we're going live, something like that, but you're not going to get spam or anything like They Don't give us your email. Not that we would spam you, but so nothing. So please don't hesitate to do that. That's how you can thank me for spending a whole hour of my time answering your guys' questions. Um, Also, we can't always get to all these. And I could definitely get to the ones that are in here now, 14 minutes in. So don't ask a question at the very end and expect that I'll get to you. I just can't always get to everybody. Um, And usually 15 minutes in, we got a slightly lighter crowd today. So it's probably should be able to here. So Um, let's see. So my two cents says, by the way, thank you for your time advice. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I appreciate it. Um, Deidre said, hi, Andrew. Hey, Deidre. How are you doing? Um, Dana said, ha ha, Caleb, you're stealing my line, which is Dana's job is to remind me to do the legal disclaimer because I do it halfway through a lot of the times. Um, uh, Derek said, advice for phone call pitching. Record your phone call, not to share it with anyone, but to merely study yourself and where you can improve on such as repeating yourself or anything other, other any other bad habits. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Derek. Absolutely. Um, and I think that if you, I mean, I got like a microphone here. If you have your, your, your phone and you put it on speakerphone and then you just hold it up, you know, near your computer, it's recording or your laptop or another phone or whatever, uh, you know, and there are some, I think it's hard to find applications that'll actually record a live phone call. Um, but I think that's a great idea. Boy, i it's like an earthquake here. huh? I, I did that on purpose now. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that's a fantastic idea, Derek, really. And I think also writing it down and then practicing it but then not actually reading it when you call. If you you read something over and over and over again, like your intro or saying hi, um, it becomes kind of ingrained in your brain, and then you can say it naturally. Um, You can read it too, uh, but it might sound like it's being read, and it might sound a little bit awkward. Um, Leon said, I'm running out of toy companies to submit to. Uh, Leon, um, what I can say general for you and for everybody Inventors outside of InventRight, 90 to 95% of the time, even though some of you have been listening to us, their list is never as big as it should be. And I get new students all the time. They're like, oh, here's my companies. And I'm like, yeah, those three companies are great. But I just off the top of my head, I would know you'd have at least 20 or 30 companies on this. So, Leon, you got to take a look if you're really making your list. Um, correctly. And if it's a complete and a big list, but I, but if maybe you are, let's assume you are, let's assume you are making the list of companies that's right for your particular kind of product. And you know how to do that searching and know how to find those and putting in the time to do it, it can be kind of time consuming. A lot of people just tend to go with whoever's in front of their face, you know, like the one they know that's familiar. Oh, uh, you know, Google and Apple or 3M or whoever, or, you limit yourself because you're licensing to the companies that are selling at retailers and then you limit yourself to the retailers that you know are near you. So let's say it's a sporting good product and you know, big five and Dix is near you. And that's the only ones you go to. And that's the only ones you look at. Are you kidding me? There's like huge numbers of, of retailers you can go to online for sporting goods and you're going to find more potential licensees there. So, um, almost nobody outside invent right and we even need our coaches need to twist our students arm to do it the coach is like oh that's great you got three up from you got you got up from three to 15 companies But remember i said you could find here and here and you should be thinking about ones like this and students like oh yeah you did say that okay so it's like a process we're just like grinding it into our students to do this and by having that experience, I find that people get used to it and then they actually do it. But I find that outside InventRight and us coaching our students, I, you could say it to so your blue in the face and they just, the average inventor just won't do it. They just don't put the time in it. It can be kind of time consuming to find all those companies depending on. Um, toy companies I think would be a little bit easier, Leon, but anyway, so I'm just saying all this um, to help you guys to help you get into the right mindset because that's what we do here at InventRight. I know you guys aren't students or maybe some of you are joining anyway, even though you're students. But um, we always want to help do things to help you move forward. And mindset is everything. We can give you tips, but mindset. And so a lot of companies, as many as you can. Now, let's get back to Leon's question. He's running out of toy companies. So how many did he hear back from? Let me just see if he typed anything else here. How many did he hear back from? And was he able to send the sell sheet? All those things you want to take a look at, you know? Um, so, and then at some point, you know, let's say, let's say he does, let's say for this particular idea, cause it's not every product is gonna have 30 companies. Maybe let's say with Leon, let's say, no, he gave it a thorough look and it's 19 companies that are toy companies that are a right match, okay? Um, if they, first of all, you're not done until you get a no. From everyone, either they're going to tell you they're not open to ideas, which I don't know of a single toy company that isn't in toys. Some other areas, you'll get a few that aren't. You'll get companies sometimes that are open to ideas, um, are not open to ideas. Sorry for mumbling. Um, and then other ones that like are yeah, yeah, send it over, and then they give you a polite no. But a lot of times when companies give you a no, it's a non-specific no. It's not at this time, not a right match for us. And guess what? There's some one's hidden in there where they actually liked your product. Andrew, why would they tell me no then? Because they're too busy, because they're people just like you and me. And they have three bosses and five projects in a day with email, and they just don't have the time to take it on. So they're going to reply, not this time, not a right match. So let's say you get that from 19 companies, Leon, and you go, oh, you know, this licensing thing. First of all, this would be the crappy attitude to have. This licensing thing doesn't work, you know? I guess that's it, you know? No, (laughs) you're gonna, first of all, like, take another look, see if there's some more companies you haven't sent to, and then don't throw that product in the garbage can. Now, most inventors would never do this. Put it on the shelf, and then reach out to all the same companies, maybe a few new ones, like six or eight months later. And I get students all the time that are licensing stuff that way, because next time you send it to them, you, hit, you just hit them at the right time. It's a little bit of luck, but it's not luck because you're doing the work. You're sending it back out again. It's so easy. You got all the emails and you got your sell sheet. Just send it out again. It's like the easiest thing in the world. But most inventors would never do that. And, and they might be in a different headspace. And two weeks earlier, their boss said, we need new products. In the meantime, during while you're waiting to send it back out to companies, because you don't want to do that like two weeks later. That's obnoxious, right? And if they tell you it won't work because of this, a particular company, don't resend to them. That's obnoxious too. But to resend it six or eight months later, maybe you tweak your sell sheet or whatever. I'm not saying that's something you do 100% of the time, but if you get all these non-specific no's, if they give you specific reasons why not, do not resubmit to them, that's not okay. But most of them won't. Most of them won't give you specific reasons why not. In the meantime, you're working on another product. So now you're not crying that you didn't license your first idea. You just You didn't throw it in the garbage can, you put it on the shelf, you're reaching out to more companies. So you're not just like focusing on this new inventors will do this, this negativity that you couldn't license the first one. Instead, you're focusing on another product. Now, don't get so into it that six months later, eight months later, or a year later, or whatever, um, you're not going to throw it back in the mix. And, you know, you may then work on another project and it might be two years later before you resubmit it, you know, but um, sometimes, you know, then the emails will change. Maybe the same people aren't there anymore. Um, so this is a strategy that you can implement. So Leon, if if you are running out of toy companies, and, and here's, the, here's the problem that people run into that invent rights students don't once they're on board with us, it happens to them before they come on board. When you go out and spend five grand on a prototype and 10 grand on a uh, uh, um, patent, how many times are you going to do that? How many times are you going to do that to yourself or your spouse? How, how much money do you have? And most people can't continue to do that. And it is a mistake. Instead, spend $75 on a provisional patent and you'll always, always, unless you're just dirt poor, have the financial bandwidth to move on the next idea. And if you're that dirt poor that you can't afford 75 for a provisional, you shouldn't be working on licensing your inventions. You should be working on getting a day job so you're making enough money so you can pay your utilities and your rent. Like when people tell me they can't afford 75 for a provisional, I say, you should not be working on licensing your products. Now, if somebody says, I can't afford a $10,000 patent or even an affordable one, it's 8000 or something like that, that's fine. You can do the invent right approach. So, uh, man, Leon, I just really uh, answered your question big time there. Um, let's see. Let's see. Uh, John said, Can you ask a manufacturer for components from another manufacturer for the product to be licensed? The requested components has better performance than the one from the original licensee. Um, that's kind of a tough one. A lot of people kind of go like, oh, you know, my product has Velcro in it, so I need to get permission from Velcro. And I'm like, no. First of all, there's a generic version, it's called hook and loop fastener, which is the same thing as Velcro. And, you know, a lot of the parts that companies are going to use, they're going to buy off the shelf, right? Um, but that's not what, so, so you you don't need to, oh, I'm going to try to put these two companies together and get this company, say, give them this part. That's just awkward as all hell um, and probably not going to work. But um, but that's not what John is saying here. John is saying the requested component has better performance than the one from the original licensee. So can you can you ask a manufacturer for components from another manufacturer for the product to be licensed? Yeah, I yeah, I without knowing specifically what the product is, I think that's possible. But I think when you say manufacturer, if they're a brand, let's say this brand is doing kitchen gadgets, and then you're trying to license to this other company, and when they say, "Well, how are we going to do this part?" or "We're concerned about this part," or, oh, we'll just buy it from these guys, and it's another brand that does kitchen products. No, that's not going to work. But if you mean a manufacturer, like um, there's tons of manufacturers that are doing generic parts. And things like that, yeah, that's perfectly okay. So, John, I can't fully answer your question. Um, I get it without knowing what the 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 product is, but hopefully, that's a little bit helpful. Deidre said, "Hi, Andrew. Company showed interest in my product. I have a provisional. I have a provisional patented. They said they are waiting for feedback from multiple company from multiple company campaign." It's two months. Should I take my product back? Well, you, you didn't give it to them. I mean, what do you mean take it back? I mean, they were a potential licensee. They showed some interest. They wanted to, they wanted to do, I don't know, you don't share what the name of the company is or anything, but they wanted to do some testing, a multi feedback from a multiple company campaign. I don't know what that means. What happens a lot of time is, uh, times is a, um, a company shows interest. And they want to show it to some buyers that they retailers that they sell to. So that might be what they're doing. I don't know what you mean by a multiple company campaign. I don't know. And if you could clarify what that means, that would be great. And if you can't, you need to ask them. If you don't understand, you need to understand, especially when a company takes two months and they're looking at your product, you need to understand the second they say it and ask a few questions and go, what, what, what's the next step? What are you doing with the product now? So they said they want to do a campaign to take a look at it and get feedback, but it doesn't sound like you have all the info. And so, you know, you should, you should get that up front. Now, don't worry. You didn't mess it up. You can check back with them. Um, but type in, it should be interesting. Don't type the name of the company or a product or it don't disclose anything specific, but type in what they said they would do with it. And again, if you don't have that answer, you didn't do your work. And, um, I talk to a lot of inventors that they don't interview the company enough. And I talk to inventors that have closed licensing deals with companies. And these are not invent right students. And I say, and they're usually complaining, oh, they've had it for a year. They didn't do anything. I said, well, where does the company sell? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, what? Like you did a licensing deal. You gave them your product and you don't know where they sell. Are you kidding me? So, inventor you need to interview them as much as they do you so just telling that story not being critical just to emphasize the fact that you need to interview them as much as they are going to interview you and a lot of inventors think like oh i'll just like respond to whatever they say most deals will die if you do that i would say 90 percent of the time um if they're really really interested and you just respond to their questions you might still do a deal but most of the time it'll die you just you won't you you are more responsible for moving it forward than they are that shocks people and when our students get interest when we put them on with our coach paul or if i get involved somehow i always say that they say paul will show you how to ask smart questions to help them move it forward they don't license every day i mean maybe the company's licensed 15 products but the marketing manager you're talking to has never done a license to deal or maybe he did one like two years ago you know and so you're more experienced with our guidance to move the deal forward than just relying on them to move it forward. Because they'll ask stupid questions sometimes. And you're like, well, Andrew, that's fine if they want to ask a question. It's like, yeah, it's fine. But sometimes they'll ask questions that don't move it forward. And they don't even know you're doing it to them or with them. You're helping guide them. And it's not like you're like, you know, Getting this big, you know, marketing manager for this big company, and giving them a nookie, noogie, or something like that, and going, "You're going to do it my way." It's so subtle. It's just like, "Oh yeah," it just you change the direction of the conversation, sort of thing. So, uh, da, da, da. Huh. uh super. Wa- I never know how to press super wavies. I don't know how to pronounce the handle here. Has anyone you know successfully licensed a medical device or packaging in the USA? Yes. But then the second part was that's sold on Amazon. I don't know. I need to look at all our students' products. I mean, this is just a few products here and we've had students, um, licensed medical products and I don't have any of them up here. Um, some of them were retainers and different things that probably look really weird in the background up here, but I should, maybe I should pick those up. I don't know. Maybe they're like eight $900 or something. And I don't want to spend that to put it on the shelf, but, um, so, you specifically said, is anyone, you know, successful that's the medical uh, device packaging in the USA that's sold on Amazon. I, I would say that uh, medical devices um, are less common on Amazon. They're more common at hospitals and medical supply houses and there's medical devices. But I think like a lot of stuff that's sold on Amazon is is but I'm not saying this is true necessarily, but it's more like stuff that you get in these old folks catalogs. There's like catalogs and websites that you know, it's like a stick used to get a can off the top shelf and you squeeze it and there things for walkers and and canes. And so I, I like to call those quasi medical devices, like they're assistive devices for seniors and then sometimes people with disabilities. Then you have medical medical devices, like a new scalpel, you know, like a new type of retainer um, that I think one of our students licensed. And then you have, um, uh, you know, a new type of gauze or a new IV drip, you know, that's that's kind of the way, way I differentiate. The other part of your question, did they have to chat to the FDA? Any issues you know with licensing medical devices? Yes, and that is definitely an issue. And I've had some students of ours get interest from companies that are selling really medical devices. And the company complained, oh, we'll have to get FDA approval on this. And my response to the student is they're not interested." So they need to do that on the true medical devices, on most most of the medical devices they sell. So when a medical device company tells you, oh, you know, that's gonna be a big pain because we get FDA approval. It's like, well, didn't you need to get approval on that, that and that that say it's approved? So what it means is they weren't intrigued enough that they're willing to go through the pain, which it is painful from what I hear, to get FDA approval on a medical device. But do you need uh, FDA approval on something that you modify a walker or a cane? I don't think so, um, but on some of these other devices, you do. So yes, that can kill the deal. And so, um, you know, when you're doing a medical device, if you can cite other things that are similar, maybe that are somewhat similar in some respect, that did get FDA approval, that might be your way of kind of convincing. Them, well, that and that got FDA approval, so I think this will as well. And if they're would they give you the answer like, oh, I don't know. We'd have to get FDA approval. They, the answer is they feel like there's other problems with it. the FDA approval is not the thing because that's part of their business. That's what they do. They have to do that. So hopefully that's helpful. Do um, You think I could ever give a short answer to anything? I don't think I can. I don't think I'm capable of that. Um, I think you guys like it, though. So I haven't heard any complaints. Um Okay, DWC twenty five sixty seven, otherwise known as Dave. Uh, Hi Andrew, do you guys maintain a list of companies per product category that are trustworthy and or untrustworthy? So I'm glad you asked that question, Dave, because you're worrying about the wrong things. So yes, at InventRight we have a list of a couple thousand companies. It's called InventRight Connect that we had called. I don't know if they're trustworthy or not, and they said. Yes, we're open to ideas or no, we're not. Now, if a student ever says, which they never get, like, I have a problem with this company, like, I think maybe once or twice, and we look into it, we'll remove them from the list. Um, also, we have Bridging the Gap, where we bring on two companies a month. They come on a live Zoom. They say, here's a little bit about our company. Here's what we sell. And here's what we're looking for. And you're staring at the CEO or the marketing manager, where on last Thursday, it was um was one of the creative directors basically in the face and it's like whoa they're a person just like me and then then our students will get that email from the coach and the reason why we don't give it actually on the live stream with our students this is just for our students bridging the gap is because we want the student to go to the coach and say here's my cell sheet and the coach can go oh well let's get this fixed up a little bit before we send it and we give the direct email to the student we do not act as a go-between. So we have InventRight Connect with a couple thousand companies. We have Bridging the Gap. But I'll tell you, the the technique that we teach is for all our students to make their list of companies from scratch. scratch, it's a methodology, it's a skill that we teach every one of our students. So when our students are like, oh, I'll just go to that list, right? The coach is like, no, you're not gonna do that we're going to make this list from scratch we're going to find these companies that are right for your particular product that are a good match and then after you do that then go ahead and look at the list great because we want to empower you with skills that you can use the rest of your life if we just give people a list um then they're not learning anything okay now we do have it but when you when you when you take a look at it actually i've found that it's easier to make that list from scratch than to go through that list, especially if it's a category like Kitchen, where we have so many companies. Um, but we are not maintaining or stating that they are honest or dishonest. You're you're worrying because you're new to this. So what I can tell you, this will help you. It's not about a list of trustworthy companies. That's, you'll never get that list. Anybody that claims to have that list, how can you know, okay? Um, so what we, what we do with that is, um, what I'm saying is, I lost my train of thought there. Okay, your mindset is wrong in that we've had students in 21 countries, sorry, for over 21 years in 65 countries. I'm a little tired, guys. And um, we've never had one of our students that presented to a company while they were a member with us or beyond that I'm aware of that got knocked off by a potential licensee, a company that thought were a good match. And that's not all about provisional patent applications. At least half of protecting yourself is conducting yourself professionally. So when our students conduct themselves professionally, and that, let's say, I've given this example before, but I'll give it now. Let's say Sally is at the company, she's a marketing manager, she kind of likes your product. Let's say, um, who was I talking to here, Dave. So uh, she kind of likes likes the product. So she, she likes your product, Dave. She's gonna show it to Bob. Now Bob's a dick. Bob is a CEO and he's one of these, let's just say he's one of the three or 4% of companies. I think it's that small, most industries unethical CEOs, let's say, or just some other person in the company is not ethical. And and Sally says to Bob, who's the marketing manager, Sally's the marketing manager, Bob's the CEO. Hey, Bob, I think we should license this. This is a really cool idea. I think it fit well in the product line. Bob's like, oh, Sally, why should we pay this guy? You know, we, we don't need to pay him. We can just work around it. And and she says, Bob, okay, yeah, that guy a year ago, this is an unethical company, which I think is rare, but they exist. Um. Yeah, that guy a year ago, you know how he was acting wacky and stuff? Like he wouldn't know if we did something. He wouldn't have no idea. But Dave here, he's got a great sell sheet. He's not rambling in his email. He's very communicative. He doesn't seem difficult. Uh, He's not like that guy. I think we should either license this or we should move on. I think it's a liability, Bob. I think we get our ass sued. Oh, Fine, maybe I'll consider it. You know, anyway. So there's my unethical CEO, Bob Voice. And sorry if your name is Bob. I just made up a random name. Nothing wrong with the name Bob. But so your question isn't if you are looking for a list of friendly companies um, that you know are trustworthy, you're you're thinking you're you need to understand how to conduct yourself professionally, how to file a provisional patent, and just know that it's very unlikely that you're going to get knocked off. And I I mean, I'll compare it to kind of like how ridiculous it is that people would think that nothing bad would ever happen. And I think some inventors want that assurance. And I'm like, just go get a job. Don't try to license products. Because if you're an entrepreneur and let's say you open up a sandwich shop and you want to guarantee that nobody will open up another sandwich shop within 20 blocks of your sandwich shop, you can't guarantee that. And we can't guarantee that some company may not try to screw you. But when I give you the statistics that for our students that are conducting themselves professionally, there's plenty of inventors that are not, but that we have not seen one of our students that I'm aware of get knocked off in 21 years with students in 65 countries, that should be enough. And if that is not enough to make you comfortable, then you shouldn't be trying to license. You're too worried. And I'm not saying you are, You, you brought up a great question. And everybody else appreciates it because I guarantee a bunch of other people are thinking the same thing, especially when people are new. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, Jacob said, hey, Andrew, if I join Event Right tomorrow, will you be my coach? So I was our original coach. I was the original OG or whatever you want to call that. And I, I was training the other coaches. But now we even have a head coach that trains the other coaches and works with the other coaches. All our coaches are employees. Nobody's a contractor. And they meet, it used to be twice a week, but now it's once a week with our head coach, Terry. And they're absolutely fantastic. I do not do coaching anymore. I have 23 employees and 10 contractors to manage. And um, I, I, you know, I, now with that said, Stephen, myself, Terry, our head coach, our negotiation coach, Paul, he's probably the one that does the most. We'll always jump on a call in addition to your regular coach if you're a student, um, we're always here. Now, rarely does anything come up that Stephen and myself need to jump on. If it's some like bizarro, really weird situation, like we get off on that because it's like, oh, this is fun, it's not the same old, same old, because most of the stuff with licensing, it's new to you, but it's totally not new to us. And we're like, you think it's like, oh, this is a big problem here. And we're like, no, here's a solution, here you go. This is what, how you'd handle that. And here's why. And if you do it this way over here, which I wouldn't recommend, this is what can happen. So we have that experience. Mostly it's your coach and then our negotiation coach, Paul. And then occasionally our head coach, Terry, or Stephen, and myself will step in if it's something weird. And we're always here. Steven and myself are not too important to jump on a coaching call. But you know, your coach and our negotiation coach, Paul, is the first line. Um, so I, as you guys can tell, I really enjoy... Teaching this stuff, so part of me is really kind of sad that I'm not a coach anymore. I really loved it, um, but I, I try to do a little customer service, a little coaching, um, little sales, little you know marketing. I try to do all these things because it's hard to respect your employees when you're not doing the same things as them. I think I think managers become insensitive towards their employees when they don't do at least a little bit of what they're doing, and then the manager will have tremendous respect for that person and treat employees with respect and if we treat our employees with respect then they're happy and then they treat you with respect and it just it just trickles down so that's my take on that um, okay monkey man said some companies with open innovation will buy a PPA correct question mark so um, Jacob you that was monkey man sorry monkey man you never want to approach a company saying, I want to sell you my patent. You definitely don't want to say, I want to sell you my PPA. That's bizarre. When you're licensing, you're not selling your idea, you're renting, or you're leasing it, you're licensing it. If they don't perform, you get it back. They will never remotely pay you what it's worth. It, it, let's say it's a product could be earning you 200k a year. Okay, If that's sold for five years, that's a million dollars. On a 200k a year product, if you ask for 50k up front, I don't think anybody would pay it. Because they don't know it's going to be a 200K k year product yet. They might be investing hundreds of thousands of dollars just to launch your product. And now you're asking for a bunch of money up front. They're taking all the financial risks. They're doing all the work. Are you kidding me? That's just, Now, the time when it's appropriate, there's always, there's always exceptions. So let's say you've been running a business. You have 10,000 units and you're in 5,000 stores and you have inventory okay then they're kind of buying your business plus doing a licensing deal but you don't need to do that to do a licensing deal that's the other thing that i'll say is some people are, well I'll, you know i'll get a higher royalty if i sell it and it's like you may just screw yourself because if they see that you've only sold 500 units or even 5,000 units, they you'll be like oh i thought this would be a big hit but and then you have to make excuses and then you have to say oh whoa, 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 whoa. but but i was just testing it out you know and but if you just present them with the product they can use their imagination the sky's the limit if they really like the product. So um, never, and I'm just correcting you on a little part of it. No, they will not buy your PPA and never, ever say, I want to sell you my patent. It's a complete and utter rookie move. So hopefully everybody benefits from that. You want to license the product and I'm going to license it to you for royalties. So as you make money, I would get a small royalty per unit. Okay. And don't just go repeating that if you don't know the rest of what to say, guys. Um, Sometimes... Steve and I will say on a YouTube show, yeah, people will ask and say, yeah, the most common royalty is 5%. But I have plenty of people where they don't blurt that out. And the company is like, well, you know, we, we typically do 8% deals. It's like, wow, you would have your foot in your mouth and screwed yourself out of 3%, you know, if you had said that. So don't go saying percentages either. You need to evaluate it and then make a judgment. And that gets pretty in-depth and that's why we have a negotiation coach just for that because it's really easy to kind of screw that stuff up you don't do all that work get a deal on the table and you screw it up by saying something stupid you know um because it's like licensing is like if you just mess up a one thing along the way the whole thing can get tanked it really can um will said is as seen on tv licensing the same as regular licensing where after a set amount of time You take back ownership of the product. Well, Will, I I think you're a little under the misperception that, yes, licensing contracts are often three or five years, but I've never seen one of our students pull that contract. Like the company's doing well and they've been selling for five years. Like, why would you go, oh, well, the contract's up, bye. I'm going to take this somewhere else. Like, why the hell would you do that? And if the company's smart, like they'll insist that, after five years, if they're still meeting the minimum guarantees and still selling a certain amount, they could continue to sell it. I'm always amazed that companies sometimes don't do that. I'm like, wow, that's stupid. Because the inventor could get you over a barrel then, but you know, they probably just tell you to screw off and go, you can have it back if you do that, because that's kind of an a-hole move. Um, so this perception that you're gonna get it back, yes, you know, the way you're gonna get it back, usually with the licensing deals, they're not meeting minimum guarantees and other criteria, they're failing, whether they failed early on or, or the product is starting to dive later. And just because in the contract, you have the right to take it back, doesn't mean you will. So let's say it sells for five years and the sales start to taper off. Well, and you kind of look at what they're doing and you're like, you know, I think that's just the product life cycle of this particular product. And you don't necessarily want to pull it. Maybe you want to continue to get royalties for another year or two, even though it's smaller, right? And so just because the contract gives you the right to do it, which you do have that right um, to take it back, depending on what you put in the contract, doesn't mean you want to take them up on that. But um, as seen on TV, you know, not many products are gonna be selling for more than five years, you know, it's pretty rare. Like they usually kind of skyrocket and then they and then they crash. And there's ones that continue to sell for a really long time, um, like the Snuggie or something like that, that All-Star Marketing did or something like that. But um, so I want to correct you on this thought that there's a term for the contract. There is, there usually is, but it usually also says they continue to sell it if they meet certain criteria and you'd want them to do that. And what are you going to do with it? You're going to take this product that's been selling for five years and go, hey, company, here's this this worn out dead product. Do you want to license it now? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Not really. Could, but, um, but you are right in that you're never selling your idea, you're renting or leasing it. So yes, you do have the right to take it back. But the question is, is there anything you can do with it after that point if it's been successful for a while? Now, the point at which it's really powerful is if they fail and you're like, they failed because they didn't do this and this and this. And then you can take it and license it to somebody else, hopefully. Um, <laughs> Dan said, as long as, as a longtime trainer, I'm amazed at how well the two of you can still answer the same questions year after year without showing boredom or, or annoyance. Great work. You know, I have a trick for that. Um, I think about the people that I'm helping because like you guys didn't decide, oh, I'm going to be an inventor. You, you, it just happened to you one day. It's like part of who you are. It's really important to you. And and I talk to inventors every day. It's really important to them. It's like a passion, right? But they're struggling with the business side of stuff. So it really energizes me when I talk to somebody or do this, and they're so passionate. So, so I think Stephen and myself and all the coaches and everybody in right. we feed off the excitement of the inventor to get re-energized, to open their eyes as to the right way to do things. And it's pretty rare... It's, it's a very rare thing. My, my uh, aunt had a manufacturing business in Silicon Valley. And, and I was telling her about my business. She, she looked at me like I was an alien. She's like, no, Andrew, business is nothing but problems. The employees complaining, customers trying to screw you, blah, blah, blah. That was her perception, which I could see in that manufacturing business. But our business isn't like that. People tell us how great we are every day. You know, and I don't think that's at that, it. It's just great to get that reinforcement that we're making a difference in somebody's life. You know, and so that's how I get constantly re-energized with yeah answering a lot of the same questions, and then always it's kind of fun somebody answers asks this question in a new way. I'm like, holy crap! I knew this 21 years and haven't heard it quite that way before. But you're right, there's not many questions. So, but that's that's why like our whole customer service team, our whole sales team, our whole coaching team are all former students. They all believe in what we're doing. It's a very unique model that we've created. And it's not like we're selling, you know, there are there are other courses, but they're telling showing you how to make it's usually get rich quick crap on Google AdWords or Amazon or this or that, right? And they're showing you how to make money or something. And the person that wants to do that, they're driven by the money. But inventors are driven by their passion for their creativity and inventing plus the money. So it's like it's like inventors are just really supercharged with excitement, but they're also not understanding how to do things. And then I think the other factor is in the business of invention business, if that's even a business or an industry, there's just endless shysters. There's the invention promotion companies. Some patent attorneys aren't very cool. I, we just had an experience with one this morning. i just, you know, whatever. I think Stephen's going to write an article about the unethical ways in which patent attorneys take advantage of inventors. I think he told me that this morning. So invention promotion companies, patent attorneys, prototypers, they're all just trying to sell you crap that isn't going to move you forward. Now I'm not saying you don't need a patent or it doesn't, don't sometimes need a prototype. I don't, in my biased opinion, you definitely don't need an invention promotion company. I've never met an inventor in the 21 years I've been doing this personally, that's ever had one of those companies license anything. Our students are licensing all the time. You know why? Cause we're doing the work. I don't know what they're doing over there. But our students are doing the work, and I give our students the credit for doing that work. Um, we don't appeal to a lot of inventors because I think some inventors watch our YouTube show and they go, "Wait a minute, this Andrew guy's—he's telling me I have to do work. Like, I just have a great idea. This is a million-dollar idea. I shouldn't have to do work. I just need to sell this to somebody." I'm like, "Yeah, you need to sell to somebody, but you still need to do that work. You don't need to start a business." You need to make the effort to approach maybe 20, 30 companies hoping that one of them will license it, and then you're going to put that work on them. But that is work. You need to know how to file a PPA, make a good marketing piece, make your list of companies. It is work, and it's work you can do with two to six hours a week. You don't need to spend all your time doing it. You don't need to quit your day job, but it's still work. So I love that our show scares off inventors that um, are unrealistic, and it attracts people that want to learn and become empowered. I'm a YouTube freak. Um, every night, it drives my wife nuts. I'm watching YouTube on TV because I love learning new things. And I love I'm teaching you guys that are learning new things. But you aren't just trying to learn how to, you know, install a light socket in your house. I'm teaching you guys how to do something that is really near and dear to your heart. So sorry for such a long answer, guys. But if you were wondering why we do what we do. That's why. And our, I think our coaches and customer service and sales and everybody feels the same way. And the other thing I was going to say is like, we're, trans, we're transparent in what we do. Like we do a lot of free information um, and we sell a coaching program. Yeah. And it works, but we're not like talking about it every two milliseconds or hard selling people or doing any of that crap. So people appreciate our transparency um, with everything we do. And that's I think that's another reason why people like us. but anyway, um, but anyway, thank you, Dan. I appreciate. that's a great compliment if you've been a long time trainer. Um, and then you know, it also feels good, you know I mean, I'm not good at everything, but if you can really guide people on how to license, like you better be good at it after twenty one years. <laughs> if you're not, you better get on another business. but anyway, um, uh, okay. Travis says, what percentage of students end up licensing a product within the first six months? I, I don't, so some of our students will license their first product, some will license their second or third product. The only thing that we can do is guarantee that you're doing and saying all the right things. Okay. So just because our program is six months doesn't mean a license six months, you know, you might, a company may get back to you after eight months or something like that, right? And so the only thing that we can guarantee is that you're doing and saying everything right. And that's a lot, but I can't guarantee you're going to license every product you work on. And, and uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, Stephen's kind of old school, so he I may have given this example before, but he um, he doesn't have our database of students. He'll type to me, Andrew, is this person a student? And he, he did that a while back. And, and I, I said, oh, yeah, they were a student six years ago. And he's like, they're on Facebook posting that they licensed their sixth product or something like that. And and how come they didn't let us know? I'm like, Steven, they're on their own, man. So like, so when we teach and guide, and this is the way I like to explain um, what we do. It's called experiential learning. You learn by working on a real life project. And I don't believe that you can fully learn licensing by watching videos and reading books. You gotta experience it, you gotta do it. And people are more comfortable with a coach holding their hand. So when you go through the actual process and the coach is like on top of you, like correcting you on this or that and guiding you and being encouraging and like listening to you complain about something, because if you're not frustrated with something about licensing, you're not doing the work if you're not frustrated with something. So right there in that moment, they're like going, "Okay, you're frustrated about that. Here's the fix. Here's the mindset, you know, and doing that for an entire six months empowers you to license products the rest of your life. And that is our goal. So yes, our goal is to help our students put their best foot forward so they have the highest chance of licensing a product. But the even bigger goal, I think the even more important goal, which is not what most people are thinking about, most people are focused on their current product, I get that, is to become empowered with real life skills so you can license products the rest of your life. So that's my answer to that question. Uh, okay. Garfield said, is a provisional patent better than a full-blown patent when it comes to getting a licensing deal? And can patents, can patents provisional patents be renewed? So I think it's good in some ways. I, I really do. I think what's great about it is they have no freaking idea what you have. So when you put patent pending on your sell sheet and you file the provisional for 75 bucks, there is no way they could ever see it. It's The patent office does not review it. They look at it just to see that you made the payment and filled out your address and name and did that sort of thing, right? You could scribble on a piece of paper and they would accept it. So there it's not going to go public. Nobody can see it. So you're keeping those companies guessing as to what protection you have. I've had new students come on board that have filed full utility patents, and this is rare, but if it's in a very difficult industry, like Steven or other co-founders like packaging or medical, I always say to them, this is only for those, a few industries, you don't have to do this normally. I say to them, you know what? Your patent's issued. They're like, oh yes, I'm so proud. My patent's issued. Yeah. It's like, they can see what claims you get you've gotten. And if a company wanted to, they could work around them. But with, if you get a provisional in addition to that for 75 bucks, throw something in there you forgot to include or or not, doesn't matter, but you're going to keep them guessing so they can see exactly what you've got claims on in your patent but they have, and then you can say patented and patent pending. And so for 75 bucks, it's a great tool. Now I've I've taught you guys in this session, not to be paranoid. I told you that I haven't had one of our students get knocked off in 21 years that I know of, that I'm aware of that they a company they presented to because our students conduct themselves professionally. But at the same time, there are difficult industries like medical or like, um, Packaging that you want to kind of keep them guessing. And a provisional patent is the way to keep them guessing. They cannot see it, they can't look at it, they can't look it up. Okay. And the other part of your question is can it be renewed? The answer is no, but you can file it again. So if you filed it 12 months ago, that's done. It's as if it never happened. Okay. But you could take that same provisional file today, providing you didn't make public disclosure, put it up for sale on a website. Um, offered it for sale at a swap meet, put it up on a on a YouTube video, anything like that. Um, but if you haven't made public disclosure, you could just file that again and you'll get the new year from the new date, but it doesn't reach back to the earlier date. Okay. And the only time that ever be an issue is somebody came up in that period of time. Oh, well, I, you know, I don't I need that protection. And you're just like, okay, good. You go spend $10,000 for that. Or you can run the risk of the fact that Somebody might have filed something similar in that period of time, um, which I've literally, again, giving you statistics here, I've never seen that in 21 years. I've never seen, I don't think provisional patent, has been around 21 years, but I've never seen since the provisional patent came out. And since we've been around, I've never seen it happen. Could it happen? Yes. Do You want to spend 10 grand on a patent on something that remotely might happen? Most of the time, probably not. And again, anything I share with you today is not, should not be considered legal advice. Um huh? OK, my two cents said, Wikipedia listed about 100 toy companies. And I found that to be overwhelming like which ones would you be interested in my idea? So yeah, you you go to the stores where you think your type of product would end up and look at companies around there. You're right, if you just get this list of toy companies and then you have to go to every toy company's website to see if your product would fit into their their product line, that's overwhelming. But if you go to the major retailers where you wanna be, you already know that that company is qualified because they're already there and they're somewhat in the same space. Another tip is people really limit themselves to, oh, it's, it's gotta be a company selling more or less very similar to what I'm selling. It's like, no, it could be kind of in that general space. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, all right, so I, I really, you know, I know some of you joined us later. Don't get mad at me, I can't answer all the questions. I did a freaking hour, guys. So if you want me to answer your question, I answered every question in order for an entire hour from the top of the hour. So I'm sorry if I didn't get to your question show up earlier next time, type it, and I will get to it. I wanna ask you guys a favor, which I asked up front. I wanna get to 80,000 subscribers, and so does everybody at InventRight. So if you can help us, if you're not subscribed, down below, click on the subscribe button, click on the notification button. Help us get to 80,000 subscribers, that's my goal. I don't know why I decided 80,000, that's just, for some reason, that's where I wanna go. We're at 50 something thousand, I should probably say 60, but I'm gonna say 80. Help me dream big, guys, because I'm helping you guys dream big. So let's get to 80. Um, Get your friends and family members to subscribe to if you can. That would be helpful. Nothing happens when you subscribe. It's not like you might get notified of a live stream or something like that. You're not going to get spam or anything's going to happen. It it doesn't hurt you in any way, shape, or form. So please help me out and do that. Um, Also, um, if you go to inventright.com, I forgot to, to put that in. I type that right. Okay, InventRight.com. There are. I just typed in the chat. Um, there are free resources page. If you go to InventRight.com and then you click on Free Resources, resources, there's a ton of free resources. And one of those is our year-long webinar series. You'll find that on the free resources page. Make sure to sign up for that too. Check out all the free resources. Free resources. I'm talking so fast, I can't. I'm not. I'm slurring my words. Um, because secretly, I was drinking when you guys weren't looking. No, just kidding. But um, check out the free resources, guys. We're all about educating the inventor community. Steve and I even have another organization called um, Inventor Groups of America where we do free education there too. So we're not just a bunch of hucksters trying to sell you coaching, but I really, I know that our coaching program could help you. So if you're interested in that, you can check out our coaching program at inventright.com as well. So take care, keep inventing everybody, and we will catch up with you next time. Bye-bye.